Morning, Red Point Church. Wonderful to see you on the slightly cooler day. I know last time I said Terry Virgo was sweating profusely, um, and he got home from the preach, and I thought he would collapse on his bed, but he got home on the veranda, took out his latest, the latest book, which was D.A. Carson, The Glory of God in the Church. And I thought, where do you get your capacity from at 82 years old to preach in the scorching heat and then to get into some heavy theology after a preach? After a preach like that, I need to chill. So we were in Wales and uh, London, England, and uh, Holland in the last 10 days. And um, thank you for releasing us. Uh, thank you for sending us. Thank you for being part of a bigger story. Um, some amazing moments where you think, Lord, is this good that we are here? But just sitting with a couple who told us a story for 40 minutes and at the end of an absolute uh, story in England of just a collapsed church. And I just looked at him and I thought, Sir, I don't know what to say to you. Normally I got answers. Um, and I just thought, I don't know what to say to you, but you've got a big journey ahead of you because you just said, how do we pick up the pieces? And just that encounter, meeting a South African man who's planted a church in London. Um, he says he's not an elder, but he's got a thriving church. He says he wants to appoint five elders, and he's not even an elder. What should we do? And I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> isn't that a miracle? I mean, because most churches are, are struggling. And um, so just some amazing encounters. Preaching at Cobham Church on Sunday morning. Cobham Church is a plant in Cobham um, from Kingsgate Church, which was planted out of Glenridge by Nigel Day-Lewis. And Cobham Church is led uh, by an elder who was from here. And his name is Chet Henderson and uh, Shelley. And we got there, and there were some chairs in this community center. And I thought, okay, I'm going to preach straight away because there's no worship. But this, this guy from here who's leading it gets a little speak this size and puts it on the front desk. And uh, he goes to the back, and he's got his um, Apple Watch, and he starts pushing buttons. And next minute, we're worshiping <laughs> to a little... A little speaker, no band, no nothing. And I thought, hey, I, can, I could plant a church. If these guys can do a church like that, we can, amen. And that was just a wonderful moment. I preached my heart out, ordained a guy that night in um, Kingsgate in, uh, in Kingston, and then went across to Holland to be with a couple that from, from this church planted in uh, Utrecht in Holland. And we simply went to spend two days with them and to love on them and to appreciate them. tough out there, man. Yo, it's tough. It's tough, and uh, eventually they, they just said, thank you so much for coming. And um, it was good to be there, you know, just to spend time with them, walk with them, pray with them, minister to them, encourage them. Would you join us in the great global, global story of reaching out? South Africa, you are a plucky people. You are a wonderful people. The churches in uh, Europe have been smacked properly. Uh, people don't come to church anymore. There's all sorts of challenges for the speaker. Mm. I just thought um, that uh, we are a, a blessed nation, uh, particularly because the heavens are open over us. And uh, just coming back here, uh, looking at your community's day that you had in this um, drone going over and i'm just thinking lord you've given us so much you know uh, so it's good to be back 
Um, again, we don't want to go on our own. We want to go with people to the nations. But um, it's amazing to see people from Portugal, South Africans planting in Portugal, um, just meeting people all the time. So there's a lot happening. It's good to be home, and it's good to see you. Amen? And I uh, would love to invite you into the nations. So, Lord, as we gather around your word, won't you help me, uh, perhaps slightly disorientated with times, zones, and that, but I thank you for your grace, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for every individual there. Uh, while I uh, was driving here this morning, or maybe before praying that we're a people that will be filled with God's spirit, you can, you can meet a dry church, or a church that's struggling through doctrinal struggles, and you think, oh, they, they're quite parched, there's not many leaves in the tree, but part of my prayer is that God would pour out his spirit upon us, amen, that would be a church full of moisture, like when you, we came back in here, we had this humidity wave hit us from the cold of, of Europe. Man, it was cold, and suddenly you get off the plane, and you think, wow, like this blanket of moist air, and then you drive into Kazin, and you just think all the greenery, that we'd be a green church, amen, <laughs> not like green sort of, that's green, but green, <laughs> full of God's life, full of God's power. Won't you turn with me to Mark chapter 10? Uh, we are going a 17-part series, maybe 18 through the book of Mark. So um, it's not our favorite uh, subject we're preaching. I'm not preaching my favorite subject. I was able to do that in, in Wales. But um, we're going systematically through the gospel of Mark, and we're at Mark chapter 10. So won't you turn there? It's the NIV 84 version that I'm preaching from. I don't know if you have it on screen, but um, let's go there. So... This is about discipleship, um, and uh, let's read verse 1. It says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. So uh, things are moving quickly through the Gospel of John. Um, some would only have one encounter with Jesus. They would have one moment with him, and it would be expected that that one moment would be an encounter with uh, Emmanuel, God is with us, and, um, but he would teach them. And so we are a teaching people. Crowds came. It starts by crowds coming, um, but that they should end up in the form of discipleship. But as was his custom, he taught them. Now, I like the impartation, but I like just to sit in a meeting or sit at the feet of Jesus, and I just get an impartation. You just like, Holy Spirit, come upon me change me, transform me, explain everything to me. But there is another side. The Judeo-Christian faith is a teaching faith. So all Christians, like Mervyn there, has got a notebook because we are learners, amen. And so Christians are, are people who love to teach and to be taught. In fact, um, 106 of the top 108 universities and colleges in America, because their stats are so good, were started off by Christians and they were meant to be places to disciple people and prepare people to go into the nations to preach the gospel. Do you know that? So your Yales, your Oxfords, your Cambridges, your, um, your many universities across the, the, the known world were started off by Christians, even in this country. Most of our schools and universities were started by Christians who would teach people like seminaries and teach, uh, prepare people to go out. And so we are a teaching people. That's why missionaries... One of the things that they do is they start, they preach the gospel, and then they start schools, and schools become universities. And so Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, I'm encouraging us to be 
to teach and to learn. Okay, it says, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare to you in your hearing, hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. So the, the rabbinical guides, the, 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 they, they, they spend... Some of them spend their whole lives learning the Talmud and learning the Torah. And they, so we're a learning people, amen? People often say, we spoke on marriage. People came and said, where, how did, one guy said to me, now, man, I just got married. Where did you get the stuff from? Where did you get your stuff on marriage from? And I said, I was taught. Like, who taught you? And I just sat in church. Like what church? No, just church in Durban. You know Durban, South Africa, the East Coast, little tourist sort of village there. It's called Durban. Go and look it up, surf, surf spot. No, I sat in a church there, and I was taught about marriage. We are a teaching people. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We are a charismatic people that love the encounters with God. We want to laugh under God's Spirit. We want to fall under God's power, but we are also a, as was his custom, he taught them. We are a learning, teaching people. Verse 2 says, Pharisees came and tested him. So Jesus was always being tested. You mustn't be surprised that you will be tested. They tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he says. Uh, He replied, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send send her away. Woman, here's your document, away, go, off you go. Don't want you anymore. It was because your heart's were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. In the day, there were three things that had to happen. There was, sorry, there were three schools of thought. There was the conservative um, rabbis who said you can only get divorced on the basis of marital unfaithfulness. There was another school, rabbinical teaching, that you could get married, you could get divorced. (laughs) Help me, Lord. You could get divorced for almost any reason, if you as a man decided that your, that your wife was unpleasant or unbecoming or, or, or you had a problem with her, you could actually just write her a script and say, off you go. And then, of course, there was Herod at the time, and John the Baptist said that your marriage to Herodias is unlawful, and they chopped his head off. So Jesus had to thread through three different, you know, so when it says they tested him, you need to know the context of what was going on there. If she finds no favor, if you find no favor with her, if she is displeasing to you, Deuteronomy 24, or if you find some indecency with her, you can give her a writ of divorce. Today, you can get divorced. Today, they say, everyone's getting divorced. It's not such a problem if you get divorced. If, um, you know, like it's like Christians are getting divorced. Pastors are getting divorced. I mean, amazingly, we just witnessed another pastor whose marriage is over. And so if they can get divorced, I got shook when, and I won't mention her name because, but in the year 2000, a famous a lady who's, who I used to love her worship just suddenly got divorced. And it shook me to my core. I thought, wow. And the evangelicals wrote her off. There's a story behind it. But what is your take on divorce, sir, ma'am? What does the scriptures teach? What did Jesus teach? Well, marriage in the raw biblical terms is fundamentally a physical relationship. It's a one 
flesh relationship, and it can only be, be broken by, by adultery, which is a fleshly thing. So marriage was that, you are, that you're one flesh, and that God sees you as one, and that you can only break it by, being, by committing adultery against your spouse. Jesus says you've got hard hearts. You've got calloused hearts. Callous means it's no more feeling. It's just like rough. He says you're out of, the, out of the hardness of your heart. It's because your hearts were hard that Moses said. Because you see, the Israelites were stiff-necked. You couldn't. Sometimes you've got to yield. Sometimes you've got to bow down. Sometimes you've got to say sorry. Sometimes you've got to say, Lord, I'm broken, man. I'm so good here and there. But gee, here, Lord, in my marriage, God, there's no grace. There's no ease. There's a hardness that's crept in. Hearts are hard. And so what happens is due to the hardness of our hearts, we separate, we break one flesh. And that individual is breaking flesh with, they're breaking faith with themselves. So when you get divorced, what happens is you tear your own hearts apart. And often God, you're sentenced to a lifetime of loneliness and brokenness. Now, there are people in this room this morning that have gone through the pain and the difficulty of divorce. I'm not addressing myself to you this morning. I'm addressing my, myself to me and Cutty and to us that are married and to us that will be married. God wants you to stay married. Can somebody say amen? Every day I have a choice to soften my heart. Incompatibility they say is the main reason, again in the States, because you're going to read the thing, we're incompatible. Every man and woman is incompatible, amen? It's like, like, you know, like man and woman, but yet God says, great, now I want you to soften your heart so that you can be, learn to love each other. But at the beginning, says Jesus, remember it's the law first mentioned, at the beginning uh, he created them, he made them male and female. Now we're changing that because we know better than God. In the beginning in the garden, they said, Lord, you've told us, but we know better. We've listened to some other voice. It's the serpent's voice, and we're going to mess around with gender now. We're going to start being gender fluid, and we're going to start that whole world that, that kids can. God says, I made them male or female, but we're coming with a new story. And God will say, carry on, carry on. And in 40, 50 years' time, we'll look and we think, what a mess, society. And then we will fall on our knees and say, God, have mercy on us. Amen. Heal us. Our kids are messed up. There's carnage going on. God says, you wanted it. And so he made them male and female. That's the way God made them. It is such a powerful gift, such wonders. There's such an attraction, a normal attraction, amen, between a male and a female, isn't there? If there's an incredible desire. Remember when you fell in love with your spouse. I remember for me personally, such a draw, such a gift, such a longing such a wonder, thinking, how can I feel such love for somebody? That was God intended, amen, that he would draw us together, male and female. Not, I don't know what I am, not, you know, we're not going to name this kid, and I might get a lot of emails into trouble, but no, we'll let the kid decide what they are. So baby is sort of at three or four, says, no, I don't know, I'm not what I am, I'm going to be something else. God said, I'll make them male and female, amen? And so that's what he did. And God says, I want you to hold. I want you to unite to your spouse. I want we, we, our marriage vows to have and to hold until death do us part. And so God unites us. 
Yes, I know that there is sin in our hearts. I know that even the best of us get married and suddenly we find out, oh, didn't realize, you don't know who I'm married to. No, no, don't know who you married to, and your poor wife also doesn't. We don't know who you are either. So we are all needing the gospel. We all say, God, help me. God, I've got a hard heart towards my spouse. I'm rebellious towards my spouse. I'm not, I will not forgive my spouse. I sat with one person once whose husband had committed adultery, and, and she just said, I'm horrified at the response in my heart towards my unfaithful husband. In fact, I am considering myself worse than my adulterous husband because I see what's in my heart. I'm saying, now we're standing on gracious, holy gospel ground. Let's pray together. Thank you, ma'am, for actually saying there's monsters in my heart because she didn't say this, but she said, I think I want to kill him. I want to stick a knife in his heart. A wicked person that I am. We all need Jesus Christ, amen, to soften our hearts so that we don't, in our, I could actually come here every Sunday and worship like I did this morning, but Katya and I are in our hearts separated. Don't want that, amen. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, and they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. What do my notes say? He made them male and female. Because of that, we leave and we cleave and we unite and we become one flesh. So again, I can use Chris and Abby are one flesh. Mystery, of course. God sees one. Mikey and Kate are one. It's a mystery. God doesn't see he sees one flesh, amen? Husband and wife, man and woman, not woman and woman and man and man. You can do that if you want, but God will re recognize it. The scriptures don't recognize it, but he takes a man and a woman, he does it biologically as well, and they unite and they consummate their wedding, and they are one flesh, and what God joins let man not separate. Sir, you should not separate from your wife. And wife, you should not separate from your husband. And if you or I cause any marriage to be separated, God says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You will be in trouble with God. <sighs> Somebody pray for me. <laughs> you will be in trouble with God if you separate a marriage. If you have an affair with somebody, if I have an affair, if I'm flirtatious and disrupt a one flesh, oh, God's fine. He ain't fine about it, amen? God hates divorce. But guys, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Like, I'd like to preach a happy, cool message. The state does not join you. The state cannot join you. The state recognizes your marriage legally and says, okay, we've we got to regulate this because of of." The fact that we've fallen. Here's a, here's a certificate or a marriage that says you're married. But the state cannot join you and the state cannot separate you. God is the one who makes you one flesh. That's why everyone wants to get married in the church. I've said to people, well, you don't, you don't believe in God, so just go to the courts. No, we want God to, to like bless us. Can you just like sprinkle some, some um, God-blessing dust on us? I'm saying, nah. I can pray that God would join you together. Only God can join. Holy Spirit, make us one. Here it comes. Lord, bind us, tie us with a three-stranded cord. Epoxy us, cement us together. You've got the dove, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. 
coming in gently into your marriage. The, the Holy Spirit coming in as a fire that I love you. Kachi, I love you. There's a fire in my heart for you. There's a passion in my heart for you. It's waters of cleansing. Here comes the, the picture of the Holy Spirit is one of cleansing. Just you, you hurt me that time. Yo, you said things. What, what did you say? Waters of washing. Lord, f- forgive. Forgive me for what I said. Some people can't forgive themselves that you may have had an affair. You just cannot forgive yourself. You, you will, will not forgive yourself. And you limp. Waters of the Spirit, wash us clean. Wash me in the inner parts. Wash me so that I'll be whiter than snow. What about the oil? Another picture of the Holy Spirit. So these are the things that you, can, you and I can pray. There is no oil in our marriage. We're like a gearbox that's just grinding. And when a gearbox has no oil, it begins, it just explodes. But we need an oil. We need to stop fighting about the old stuff and stop talking about our differences, but we need a viscosity. We need the Spirit. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Ow. Ow. This would set the tone for thousands of years, for marriage after marriage after marriage in his holy church. Amen? Don't divorce your wife. And you marry another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. The exception is Matthew 5, 32. But I tell you that Jesus speaking again, if anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So again, it's you've broken one flesh, so technically you can divorce. But can I propose to you? Are you still there? Can I propose to you that if you're going to read Jeremiah chapter 3 or the book of Hosea, that actually what happens in Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, God says, um, here, here I gave to you unfaithful, speaking of Israel, mother, a writ of divorce because she has been unfaithful. But if you read on, it says, but I will call her back to myself, that even though Israel is unfaithful, God calls her back. He says to Hosea, go and marry a woman who will bear you children of unfaithfulness or adultery. Ah! Hosea, I want you to be an example, a prophetic example of what Israel has done to me. And I want you to go and buy her back time and again. Israel, same, that God even sees our unfaithfulness, but he he goes and he purchases us back. And so we haven't had a long discussion about it, but if ever we found ourselves in the crazy place of adultery, which I really pray never happens to us, and I never believe will happen to us, will we have the grace to forgive each other and come back to each other? God does it. And I think Jesus, he's ever interceding for us. In my heart, I have been unfaithful. In my heart, I may pursue other gods. And he says, gods of wood, and stone. But Nick, I ever live to intercede for you. Nick, I need to wash you. Nick, come back to me. Husband and wife, it's possible to live. And he gives us very strong words here. And so we need to take notes. We need, there's a wedding banquet coming. This is the shallow water. This marriage on earth is the shallow water to the great banquet of the wedding feast of Jesus and his church. And this is a little mini picture of that 
and we should be sitting on the edge of our seats thinking, I can't wait for the wedding banquet of us, the church, to Jesus, the bridegroom. It's a mystery, but we're practicing. Do you want a front row seat? Let's stay married, brothers and sisters. If you hear this morning, you think, I can't live with that man. Go and ask God. Say, Lord, fire, wind, dove, oil, gospel. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I mean, I, I could, we could spend a whole morning, and there's a marriage course coming, Dave. What's it called? Marriage course. <laughs> I've sat in hundreds and hundreds of marriage talks. And guess what? You know, all I'm doing is receiving God's love and loving Kati. Oh, like you're such an amazing husband. No, I'm a dot, dot, dot. But I have found one. His name is Jesus. And he pours his love out. I don't have the capacity to love Kati. And nor does she, me. But if we tap in the great agape love of God, we are conduits of the love of God. Go and hug her. Go and kiss her. Tell her that when you kiss her, receive the kisses of Christ. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's so spiritual. Do you know how many times I've done it? Do you know how many times I've loved and embraced and held Cutty? Close your ears, Matthew. And, and, and kissed her and embraced her and been intimate with her to marital intimacy. And, and I've said to her, Oh, Jesus loves you. He loves you, girl. You are his prized possession. We're ever running. We are conduits. Get off that subject. Chapter, verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples... Okay. So, point number one is marriage. Point number two is, what happens when you're married? You have children. So what happens when you get married? You, you want the promise of children. So he starts about children. People were bringing little children to Jesus. That's the second point. To have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. <laughs> it's like, what? The disciples, they made so many mistakes. The disciples rebuked them. Have you ever been rebuked? Which means like, get away from the master. Probably a bad thing. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid or hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to thee. So when I see little Samuel or little Cooper, I wish we had, where are all the babies in the church? Where are the babies in the church? When I see, the, when I see Samuel, and I was watching him the other day, fresh from, from Mauritius, and he was, he was watching the worship with his big eyes. For, such, for to such belongs the kingdom. Jesus saying, the kingdom is theirs. Let them come to me. Okay? Bring your children to Jesus. Oh, you know, can you, come, can you come and pray for our kids? No. Bring your kids to Jesus. I love that. Take them, dress them with a poo nappy and a wee nappy and a, and a, and a kid that's got no routine. Oh, routine. No. Bring your kids to Jesus. Amen? Because listen, guys, life is long and sometimes you think, oh, Lord, what's happened to my children? Bring your children that he might bless them. It was a tradition that they would bring their children to the rabbis and the rabbis would put them on their laps and, and look at the child and stroke the child. They seemed to favor boys 
praise God, Jesus broke all that. He says, bring the children and let the rabbis bless them. And so Jesus says, bring them, don't hinder them. We are responsible to bring our kids. We're responsible to disciple our kids. We're responsible to bring them to Christ, bring them to kidsmen, bring them to youth, amen? Bring them to life group. Bring your kids. Do you know how many parents are saying, I don't know what's happened to my kids? I know that Katya and I have faith for our children because in a sense we've said, no, 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 listen, we, we said the kingdom of God first. We, we said, listen, not you first, the kingdom of God, not routine first, not sleep first, the kingdom first because to such belong the kingdom. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. Imagine, I mean, how many could it have been? Five, 10, 15? One day we'll meet them. I was a little kid that Jesus, like, ruffled my hair. And maybe Jesus kissed me on the cheek. And Jesus held me. And Jesus prophesied over me. That's all I can remember. Imagine meeting those kids one day. Like a child receives a gift from a parent. You must become like a little child. You know, like Christmas or birthday. The little three-year-old doesn't say, well, uh, I don't know if I deserve this mom and dad. I haven't been such a good boy. The kid just says, thank you. Unless you become like a child and receive the kingdom like a little child, you will never enter it. And anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. And we are the recipients of God's blessing. We will only enter if we are not childish but childlike. They're not childish like... Have you heard this latest conspiracy theory? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. What are you talking about, bro? Serve Jesus. Don't worry about Vladimir Putin. Is that his, what's it? Is it Vladimir? Don't worry about him. Praise God. Say, Lord. You see, because you know what the West wants? You know, the West wants this. You know that the West hates God? You know that the West are the ones that are saying, Girl, marry girl. Boy, marry boy. There's no God. We've got everything. As much as Vladimir Putin may be a monster, let me tell you, don't think it's not in the West because we are post-Christian. You don't dare say things. You'll go to jail. So we think, oh, the West is so perfect. No, the West is after money. The West likes money. Maybe Putin likes power. And Putin's going to get into a lot of trouble. But all of us on our knees, amen? The West and the East and the North and the South. We're like a little child. Lord, help us. And then he goes to possessions. So marriage, children, and after you have children, you need possessions to bring up the family. So Jesus goes there. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. It's a pity we've got carpets because it's quite dramatic. So this guy who is a rich young ruler you've got to read all three gospels you'll find he's rich he's young and he's a ruler comes and he like he's quite a standout guy it appears and he falls on his knees before jesus like he should have been in theater this brother good teacher he says what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus makes the statement which everyone looks at and thinks he says why do you call me good 
Is Jesus saying he's not good? No. Is Jesus saying he's not God? No. What Jesus is doing is he's playing the rich young ruler at his own game. In other words, he's meeting him where where he's at because he doesn't know who Jesus is. He says, good teacher, good rabbi. So the word would be rabbi. You are like many of the other rabbis that I'm so used to, and I actually help the rabbis because I'm very rich. And so good teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why did he call me good? She answered, no one is good except God alone. Jesus plays him at his own game. You know the commandments. He takes the last six of the ten commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do you have spoken about? Do not steal. Do not bear false testimony or give false testimony. Bear false witness in a court. Do not defraud your, your brother. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. So what's the rich young ruler saying? Kids play. <laughs> Actually, he's saying, no, 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 that me, since I was a kid. Since I was little. You, when you were little. Yeah, since I was a kid. I've kept all these commandments. He believes he's a good man. He believes he's a law keeper. He believes he can be saved by keeping the law. He says, what must I do? He says, if I do enough, I could inherit eternal life. He's a can-do kind of guy. Amen? Of course, he's rich. Rich people can do anything. But eternal life is bothering him. He's saying, eh, do all this, but I've got some questions He lacks the assurance of salvation. You see, Jesus says you must be like a little kid. You must receive the kingdom. But he lacks assurance of salvation. But he's a very self-assured man. He's a rich man. He's a ruler. He's a confident man. But he lacks assurance of salvation. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Which I often read that. What do you think that means? Anybody? Probably a sense almost from on high, if I can say. Can I, can I put my thought the bible didn't say but almost a rush of love for this man like jesus ah, loved him you know it wasn't just oh jesus loves the whole world no jesus loves this particular man one thing you lack he said sit down rich young ruler they didn't say that go sell everything you have everything and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven you've got treasure on earth but you've got zero bank accounts in heaven That's what he's saying. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. It's almost like Jesus touched his idol. Jesus popped his bubble. I see myself there. Don't know about you. You see, I don't read these stories about marriage or children, think, oh, well, I'm fine. I look at myself and I think, Lord, help me. God, help me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Interesting story, isn't it? Go sell some, go sell 10%, 15%. No, go sell all. Don't bring it to me. (laughs) I don't want it. Don't bring it to me. Go and give it to the poor. Once you've done that, come follow me. 
and actually have eternal life. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. We want to be rich. We celebrate rich. We look up to the rich. We talk about this billionaire. What I like about America, they couldn't care if you're a billionaire because everyone's a billionaire there. Well, a lot of people are. But actually, all of us look to the rich and we think, oh, I knew I had that. Do we envy? Yes, we probably do. We've just been to Europe where you, you drive past these English manor castles in Chelsea. We looked at these homes and we thought, wow, imagine having that. There's a, there's a thing in our hearts where, but Jesus says, I want you to become a disciple. You want eternal life. Actually, you're not going to get it unless you, sir. He doesn't tell me to do that. He tells this man to go and sell everything, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Quite a statement, is it? Isn't it? The disciples, verse 24, were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Remember the teaching that came out in the 90s or 80s that the eye of a needle was a little gate next to the main gate? That is anathema. In fact, that is an absolute... When I heard that teaching that went around the whole world that the eye of the needle is... A camel had to take his saddle off and the camel had to bend down and crawl to the eye of the needle. The eye of the needle is the, is the needle of a... Is the, is the surgeon's needle, it's that eye most theologians will tell you. What he's saying is be careful because your, your riches can prevent you from entering the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, what do you do if you're rich? That's a really good question. It's hard for a rich man, but man, do we want to be rich? Do we pursue riches? You might receive an inheritance. In fact, we just heard about a relative that just won the lotto. Uh, the wife of a relative just won the lotto. 170 million. The, the lady said, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> so what do you do if you win the lotto? Well, I don't know what, maybe you shouldn't be in the lotto queue, but I don't, <laughs> no, I don't want it. No, you do, because you win the lotto. Sorry, I'm just being cheeky, but maybe your grand from England or Scotland is going to leave you a castle that's worth 170 million rand, because it's only a few pounds. It's like 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> What do you do if you've just been blessed with finance? What do you do if your, if your boss blesses you, that you get share options? Or I don't know what, you know, I've, I've been there myself, where suddenly I, what do you do? Why is it hard, Lord? Does that exclude me? Must I give it all away? Who then can be saved? They ask. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Take your marriage, take your marriage, take your children, take your riches and fall on your knees and say, Lord, here is once, here's my riches, God, here's my marriage, here's my children, here's my life, I give them to you. Suddenly the Lord says, hey, that's cool. And, and then what he does, he, does he, he doubles your riches. He could, but man, there's a... But actually, you serve God with your riches on your knees. You say, Lord, <laughs> just, uh, your, these riches are yours. This marriage that you've blessed me with is yours. These children that you've given me, they're yours. I will not put them before you. They will not become idols. That's the heart of the message. Peter shouts, you know, like Peter, 
rescues all of us because he says, we have left everything to follow you. It's like, you know, like, like we're not like this. No, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the, the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers, listen carefully, or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and persecutions. Jesus was going good, then he throws in persecutions. But you can expect, brothers and sisters, to receive a hundredfold what you've left on this earth and in the age to come and persecutions. Persecutions from within the church and persecutions outside the church. We've done everything, says Peter. We've left our fishing nets and our families and we're following you, Jesus. And, and Jesus says, that's good. Well done. There will be rewards. In, in, in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And I often thought when we get on that day and the Lord says, come, come, you there, you, you, we will be so surprised that actually some, I was looking at Mother Teresa holding Princess Diana's hand this morning. I was looking at, at people who care for the broken. I was Googling images. And, and in fact, yesterday I was looking at it and I just wept. I just saw these, the surgeon holding this tiny little baby in his arms because he's about to do surgery. I saw these, like Mother Teresa, holding a completely emaciated baby. Then there's Mother Teresa, short like this, and Princess Diana, short like that, who died at the same time, and they're holding hands. I just thought, hey, Lord, soften my heart, please. Soften my heart for the broken. We flew back with, Russian, with Russians, because, but actually they were, they were um, from the Ukraine, because I thought they're Russians. I thought, you don't want to be a Russian today, because if you're Russian today, everyone's going to say, ah! <laughs> but I, I thought, hey, I want, to, I want to love this Vladimir Putin. Putin, soften my heart, God. Soften my heart for the broken people. Soften my heart for the sick and the lonely and the dying. And I need my heart to be softened because I'm a leader. I'm often thinking about church and leadership and, and planting. And sometimes I go, Lord, I can't be. Sometimes a guy comes to the road and I just think, I don't want to engage this person. Point number four, his betrayal, his death and resurrection. Keep going, brothers and sisters. Keep going. We're nearly done. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. Luke 9 says, now Jesus knows. He sets his face, Luke chapter 9 says, with Jesus leading the way. He is our leader, amen. We are followers. He leads. And the disciples were astonished at all his teachings while those who followed were afraid. Now suddenly there's astonishment, there's fear. He took the 12. Let's just have nice church. Can we just worship God together, have happy um, community days, have great life group? No, brothers and sisters, to serve Jesus is real, amen. It's real. Let's, let's be disciples. They were afraid. He took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He said, the Son of Man, take out your notebooks, disciples. The Son of Man, write this down, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord. They will condemn him to death because they weren't taking notes. Because when it happened, they thought, whoa, what's happening? And they will hand him over to the Gentiles, the Roman mockers, the Roman brutal soldiers who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. 
Three days later, he will rise. So he says this incredible thing. The disciples, in a sense, miss it. Sometimes as the elders, we talk about what Terry Virgo said and all what, I don't know, was said on Sunday. And it's amazing how some guys, they know, I missed that. Did, did he say that? Yo, remember he said, no, here it is. He did. No, I was, I was thinking about, what do we think about on Sundays? No, no, sorry, I just drifted off. No, 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 Jesus is saying something important. What do the disciples do? They, Jesus speaks about his suffering and his betrayal. The next point, the disciples want prominence, not suffering. They want thrones. Just bear with me. Then James and John, sons of thunder. James and John, James um, executed John, that, that beautiful, famous old apostle, Isle of Patmos, wrote the Gospel of John. Then James of John, sons of Zebedee, or sons of thunder, came to him. Teacher, they asked. In, in Luke, I think it is, the, the mother comes, <laughs> the mom comes. So, it's, so it's, it's, it's the mom and the two sons. And while Jesus has just announced his death, the, uh, teacher, they said, Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Incredibly, Jesus says, what do you want? Jesus has set his face. He's walking along the way. And they're saying, we want you to do some stuff for us. He's starting to agonize Jesus. He's facing Gethsemane. He's facing crushing. Jesus amazingly will often ask us, what do you want, Nick? Hey, I want to be a famous guy. I want to write a couple books. I want to fly business class. I don't know what your thing is. I want to, I want to be important, Lord. I want, that's what happens here. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left. You'll have to decide because between you know, the two brothers, we're not sure, but look, as long as, and the mom said, as long as my sons are on either side of you, in glory. God may ask you, and then again we fall on our knees and say, you don't know what you're asking, says Jesus. You don't know, you don't know what you're asking. What do they say? He's just announced his betrayal. Jesus further says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink? Which means, if you, if you drink a cup, it, it basically means the full immersion of what the Father has prepared, which is going to be a difficult thing. You don't say, I'm going to drink this cup because it's going to be a happy cup. It's going to be a difficult cup. It's the full cup of obeying my Father. So he says, can you drink the cup or be baptized with the baptism I'm being baptized with? What do they say? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Jesus says this, you will drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they were prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So can you see the carnality of the disciples? Now there's a little bit of a, an argument going between James and John and the other ten. Because actually James and John want profile, they want thrones, they want glory. Jesus is saying, my glory is the cross. Will you become a disciple and follow Jesus? I don't think, just being to England, the church is halved. The churches we went to have halved. They say if you, if, you, if you fall pregnant, in the last six months you will not see the mother, and the first six months you will not see the mother. For a year you will not see that, that, that family often. Because in Europe it's actually about us. In Europe it is about therapy. But actually are we 
a gutsy church, a discipleship church, and saying, Lord, what would you have us do? Here's all the stuff. And Lord, I laid down my aspirations and my thrones. And then he goes on to say, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. There's the word slave. That's why Paul didn't fight it. He said, we are slaves of Christ. Slavery is not good. For even the God, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And the last point, no thrones, brothers and sisters. We're on our knees together, amen? And the last point is, is healing. Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, he hears Jesus coming, and he says, Jesus, son of man, have mercy on me. And they say, shh, like the children, shh. And, and he, in some ways, is a little bit like the, the rich young ruler, but he is asking to be healed. And uh, Jesus says, he says, bring him to me. And the man throws his cloak off. What was the cloak? It says he cast his cloak off. The blind had a cloak to identify that he's a legitimate beggar. He is blind. He's an outcast. He wears a blind man's coat. And what he does, he takes his blind man's coat and he throws it. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And, Jesus, and most guys say, well, like, you know, Jesus, can you see he's got two sockets here? Or if he's got eyes, they are, they are cults, they're white, they're whatever. Well, why are you asking him that? Ah, I want to see. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Take off your cloak of blindness, your, your cloak of marital difficulty, your cloak of your kids lead you, your cloak of money is more important than Jesus, your cloak of blindness, my cloak of blindness. Say, Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. Nothing must hinder. Amen? And what does he do? He receives his sight, your faith has healed you, and he followed Jesus. Can you please stand? That was a big stake, eh? <laughs> it was like a Greek meal with chicken and steak and lamb and chops. And I pray. You know, when I read this, I, don't, I hope you don't feel condemned. I hope, like me, I'm there in every passage. I'm, I'm one of the guys that needs, in fact, Katya and I need another dollop of grace in our marriage. Can you raise your hand if that's you? Raise your hand, Katya. <laughs> Our marriages, God. There's a banquet coming. It's this is a consummation of the age. Will be a marriage feast. Help us. Help every, every single the best marriage in the house. Make it even better. The broken marriage on the precipice of divorce. I cannot continue. This man is an alcoholic. He's a drug addict. Lord, come with your healing. For those, their children are running wild, God. It's as if, Lord, we're on our own. We don't know what's happened to our children. Your grace. For those, Lord, that have much wealth or little wealth, but have a, a problem with money, Lord. It's a, it's a noose around the neck. Either poverty or riches. It can catch us either way. 
We bring our riches to you, Lord. We say, Lord, here they are. Take all of us, not just some of us. For those of us, Lord, that perhaps we want significance and profile and we want to be recognized. We, we, we get so upset if we're not invited to the party or to the banquets. Or we get so disappointed that, that you're asking us to lay down our lives. We, we want thrones. We want profile. We want happy lives. We want nice houses. We bring that to you, Lord. We bring it all to you, Lord. I want to become your disciple, Jesus. I want to follow you, Lord. I want to get into the small of your back. I lay aside all my big theological ideas. We come back to man and woman. Not woman and woman, not man and man. Man and woman, that's how you designed it. And we ask you to draw many young people in this church to be married. That people, Lord, that young people would find spouses and have children. I pray for every barren womb in this house. And that's not even here because they're in tears this morning because they can't have it. Bless them with, with, with children. And these children, Lord, we will not take them and then say, we thank you, Lord, but now we're out of your church. We will bring them to the worshiping community, Lord. We, we will take off our cloaks that identify us as, as broken or blind. And we will come to you taking off all the old identifications and say, Lord, here I am. Heal me. What do, you want us, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want to answer that question this week. This is what I want you to do for me, please, Lord. Gift me with ministries. Gift me, Lord, that I can serve you. Make me compassionate. Can you say amen, church? I know it's been a, a weighty preach. It's okay. Is it okay? Can you, can you become a disciple? Can I just end by saying, and it's not a statement of insecurity, I'm very proud of this church, that actually you're tithing, you're giving, you're going to life group, you're loving each other. Some of you have been hurt by other Christians, even this week. <laughs> you've been hurt by other Christians, that you would say, you know what, I forgive them. Forgive them. Just forgive them now in Jesus' name.